As Joshua mentioned earlier in the service, this is our final week examining some of the lost arts of the Christian life. And the main goal of this sermon series was to learn about skills, practices, and priorities that Scripture encourages us to pursue and that believers before us have benefited from and yet have been forgotten or abandoned by many Christians today. And so my hope is that these sermons might serve as a challenge and encouragement to all of us to remember and recover these lost arts, both for our good as well as for God's glory. So in week one, we discussed that lost art of discernment. Because we Christians live in a world full of both good and bad, helpful and harmful, God-honoring and God-dishonoring things. We often find ourselves facing confusing situations and dealing with difficult issues that Scripture doesn't explicitly address. And so we ask God to help us develop discernment. That we might have the wisdom to recognize what is good from what is bad in order that we might pursue the good. And then in week two, we discussed the lost art of education. Specifically, we read what Scripture has to say about Christian parents and the church's calling to pass the faith down to the next generation. And while parents and churches can't manufacture good Christians, we should remember the responsibility, the privilege that we have to teach our children who God is. And then last week, we discussed the lost art of fasting everyone's least favorite spiritual discipline. We don't fast to lose weight. We don't fast to show off our holiness. We don't fast to try and earn favor with God or manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. We fast in times of grief, times of repentance, times of crisis, in order to remember our weakness, remember our frailty, and to express our ultimate dependence upon God for all things. But now today we're going to discuss this final lost art of the Christian life, and that is the lost art of faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is a word that appears regularly in Scripture. It's a word that gets thrown around quite a bit in sermons and Bible studies and prayers. And faithfulness could be a very open-ended topic. A preacher could go in a lot of different directions with the idea of faithfulness. But what exactly is faithfulness? And why should Christians strive to be people marked by it? And what might it look like if Christians rediscover this lost art and value faithfulness more highly in a world that values it very little? So open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles here if you didn't bring one. Take one home if you don't own one. And you know, I'll add something this week. If you have a friend or a family member who doesn't have a Bible, take one for them too. That's what they're here for. So, before we read, let's pray together as a church. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, That's ultimately the starting point of this sermon. That's the starting point of our salvation, uh, that you are faithful to your promises, that you are faithful to your word, and for that we give you praise. We give you glory. And so, Father, thank you that we can read these words uh, written in Scripture, knowing that this is not just another book, but that rather this is your inspired word, and that you are faithful to what you have written, and you are gracious to sinners like us. 
So, Father, be with us as we read from your word today. Uh, Give us the right response. Uh, Let us be convicted or encouraged or challenged or reminded. Uh, Whatever it is that we need today, I pray that you would do that for us through your word and your spirit. And, Father, I pray that we would leave glorifying you, glorifying your son more after having been together and after having worshipped you together. Again, we love you, we worship you, we ask this all in Christ's name, who lived and died and rose and ascended and will return. Amen. So what exactly is faithfulness? How should we define faithfulness? Well, in the Old Testament, the word for faithfulness can also be translated steadfast love. Steadfast love. Psalm 136 is entirely about God's faithfulness. That's the psalm where it's repeated over and over again that God's steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. The same word for faithfulness. And overall, faithfulness gets at the ideas of unity, solidarity, and loyalty. It was often used to refer to the obligation that one had to their family or their community. You were expected to be faithful to those ties, expected to be faithful to those bonds. And throughout the Old Testament, the word faithful is one of the most commonly used adjectives to describe God. We see it in Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 1. These are some of the final words of Moses before he dies. Moses says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. That's the kind of stuff I say when I really want Javen and Nolan to pay attention to what I'm saying. If I start out with that, you should pay attention. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Another passage, Psalm 31, starting in verse 1, a psalm of David. David says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. A rock is solid. A rock is stable. Moses gets at that, and so is David. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. If that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus quoted the psalm on the cross. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And then in Isaiah 49, verse 7. God speaks of himself. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. We see God's faithfulness in the Old Testament when he keeps his promise to Abraham generation after generation. We see God's faithfulness on display when he sends Moses to free his people out of hundreds of years of slavery. We see God's faithfulness as he brings Israel into the promised land, 
sends judges to deliver them from oppression, and even continues to love them when their sin and their rebellion is worthy of exile. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God proves himself to be faithful. He is a rock. He keeps his word. He fulfills his promises. He sticks with his people, even when they repeatedly fail to stick with him. He has committed himself to this group of people, and he's done it faithfully. But it's not just the Old Testament. We see God's faithfulness in the New Testament as well. The New Testament word for faithfulness might sound a little more familiar to us because it's associated with words like credibility and integrity, honesty, trustworthiness is often what we think of when it comes to faithfulness. And perhaps nothing does a better job of proving God's faithfulness than the main story of the New Testament, the incarnation of Christ. Because the coming of Christ is the ultimate example of God's faithfulness to his word. Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise that someday one of Eve's offspring would bruise the serpent's head. He's the fulfillment of God's promise that someday all nations of the earth, not just Israel, would be blessed through Abraham's family. Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that someday one of his sons would sit on an eternal throne. The New Testament is the continuation of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. Because God is faithful. Because he sent Jesus to live, die, and rise, sinners are saved. Because God is faithful, we can come into his presence with confidence. Because God is faithful, our hearts can be made new. And because God is faithful, we can even look to the future with the assurance that our faith is not in vain, that Christ will come again, because God has said that Christ will come again, and God has a track record of keeping his word. His word is solid as a rock. It is a strong refuge. It is a fortress, and his word will not fail, because he is faithful. Over and over again throughout Scripture, we see this faithful faithful God. Now, a faithful person is someone who's committed. It's someone who's stable, someone who's reliable, someone you can depend upon. And so the ultimate example of faithfulness is God himself. Faithfulness is essential to God's being. If he wasn't trustworthy, if he wasn't true, if he wasn't reliable, if he didn't or couldn't do what he said he was going to do, if he was anything but faithful, he simply wouldn't be God. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love, his faithfulness endures forever. And of course, if God is so faithful, then it shouldn't be surprising that God would call his people to lives of faithfulness as well. We see examples throughout Scripture 
God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. And the Israelites doubted Moses. They complained about him. They tried to overthrow him a time or two. But Moses stuck with them. Moses was faithful to them. One of the most memorable biblical examples of faithfulness is Ruth's dedication to her mother-in-law, Naomi. When Naomi's husband and her sons die, Naomi tries to send her daughters-in-law away, even though that means she would be left all alone. But Ruth refused to leave Naomi. And Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. What a picture of faithfulness that is. God commands the prophet Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman, and to publicly redeem her, even after she's cheated on him, even after she's humiliated him all to illustrate God's faithfulness towards sinful Israel. Peter, the man who rejected Jesus the night before he died, the ultimate act of unfaithfulness, ends up being the leader of the early church. And he's faithful to Christ all the way up to his own death. And the Apostle Paul faithfully proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles even when it results in imprisonment and torture and shipwreck and sleepless nights and homelessness and countless other dangers. Again, it shouldn't be surprising that a God who is described as faithful over and over and over again throughout Scripture, it shouldn't be surprising that he would call those who worship him, people like you and me, to lives of faithfulness as well. So God is faithful. He keeps his word. He's reliable. He does what he says he will do without fail. But that's not exactly the most controversial thing for a Christian pastor and a Christian church on a Sunday morning to say. That may not sound all that new. But how might examining and being reminded of God's faithfulness to us inspire and direct us to live our lives? And what are some of the ways that God might call us to faithfulness? Every single day. You know, faithfulness is a lost art, I think, in the sense that our day and age isn't exactly characterized by faithfulness. When it comes to marriage, American divorce rates have slightly decreased in recent years, which is a good thing. However, young people are getting married later, and many are simply choosing not to marry at all. Now, of course, there could be lots of reasons for that. But it could indicate that young people aren't as willing to commit as they once were. Perhaps we value freedom and flexibility a little bit more than faithfulness. On a related note, birth rates are significantly decreasing. And again, there could be multiple reasons for that. But it might show that fewer adults are interested in making one of the biggest commitments you possibly can make in this life. Raising a child requires great faithfulness. And fewer people seem interested in having children at all, or the ones that can, the ones that do, are having less of them. Fewer and fewer people stay in their hometowns. The average American will live in over 11 houses in their lifetime. A willingness to move seems to be the way to get ahead in the world. 
Fewer people are faithfully committing themselves to a single place for the long run. We have more shallow roots than we ever have before. We're rolling stones. The average job tenure for an adult is just over four years. We bounce around from workplace to workplace. And I wish I could say that pastors are better about this, but we aren't. Some studies say that most pastors will stay at a church for five to seven years, tops. Others say it might be as little as three to four. On a related note, the average church member only stays at a church for six to seven years. Now again, there are countless factors that can contribute to those numbers. And some reasons for these trends may be good, some of them may be bad. However, it's hard not to look at those numbers and conclude that we live in a time where we are less likely than ever to commit to just about anything. We live in a time where faithfulness seems to be on the decline. You know, one of the best sales pitches you can hear from a cable, internet, or cell phone company is two words, no contract, no commitment. You can end things at any time with no penalty. You can maintain your freedom and your flexibility to do or try something else whenever you want with no cost to you. And it seems that we want that not just in cell phones and cable and internet. It seems like we want that in a lot of areas of life. No contract, no commitment, no penalty. Now maybe this lack of commitment, this lack of faithfulness in our society is because we've learned not to trust people. Not to trust institutions. We've seen too many cases of abuse and corruption and neglect, and so we're hesitant to get too close to just about anything. Maybe it's FOMO, F-O-M-O, also known as fear of missing out. We have so many opportunities, so many choices before us, more than we've ever had before, that we're scared to commit to one thing, because you never know when something better might pop up. Maybe it's good old-fashioned ambition. Because again, if you want to move up in the world, you better be willing to have a single-minded devotion to your work. Because the fewer other commitments you have that demand your energy, demand your attention, the better. You need to be willing to move. And so you never lay down roots too deeply. Or maybe it's the pressure of our social media age where everyone feels the need to post all the exotic places they go and the exciting things they do, which makes things like faithfulness and commitment just sound kind of boring, just sound kind of lame. Now, personally, I'm not so sure that this lack of faithfulness, this devaluing of faithfulness in our world is a good thing. I mean, sure, there are good reasons to maintain some flexibility. There are legitimate reasons to keep your options open, not to commit to some things, and even to quit something when it just isn't working out. But I also worry that our world's unwillingness to commit, our fear of faithfulness, could be hurting us. Because we might be missing out on blessings, rewards, lessons that can only come with time that can only come with patience, that can only come with self-sacrifice. And we Christians should keep in mind that while we may live in a world that doesn't appreciate faithfulness, doesn't appreciate commitment the way it might have once done, we should remember that the God we worship is 
faithful. The God we worship graciously commits himself to his people. He sticks with us through thick and thin. He does what he says he will do, and he keeps his promises day in and day out. And those who worship him, people like you and me, are called to be people of faithfulness as well. We're called to be people of faithfulness within our families, which of course includes our marriages. Of all people, Christians should recognize the sanctity of marriage, remember our vows rather than cutting and running when challenges come our way or when romantic feelings fade. We're called to be faithful to our children, like we mentioned a few weeks ago, modeling the gospel with our actions and sharing it with our words. We're called to faithfulness to our parents, even, no matter how old we might be. If you want to see examples of faithful service to parents, talk to the Aitens. They just spent years caring for Rick's mother before she recently passed away. Talk to the Brittings, as they're currently serving and loving their parents in the midst of challenges with their health. We're called to be faithful within our families, and that looks all kinds of different ways. I'd also challenge you to be faithful to a church, either this one or another one. Find a body of believers and stick with it. Commit yourself to them, even when it's frustrating, even when they test your patience, and even when you wonder if the grass could be greener at the church down the road. Committing yourself to a church for a long time is one of the only ways you can really do what Paul tells you to do in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12, Paul says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, weakness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You know, really the only way you can actually practice the stuff that Paul lists there. Stuff like kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, bearing with one another. What a great phrase that is for faithfulness. Bearing with one another. The only way we can really practice that is if we're committed to each other. Is if we're here for the long run. If we actually stick around long enough to need to forgive each other, to need to be forgiven by each other, the only way we can live out the stuff that Paul talks about is if we're committed to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're faithful to each other. And then also consider what it might look like for you to faithfully commit to your community, whatever that looks like, could be your neighborhood, could be your city. Instead of looking for the next opportunity to move somewhere nicer, somewhere warmer, somewhere with more to do, consider doing the opposite. Stay where you are. Think of the ministry that you can do, the gospel impact that you might have by faithfully laying down roots and committing to serve, committing to pray for, committing to love the people around you for the long haul, rather than looking for the biggest and better thing. Now, again, are there times when God may call us to pack up and go somewhere else, do something else, commit to something else? Of course there are. There may be times to leave family behind, 
find a new church, pursue a new opportunity, or move to a new place. There may come a time when you sense that your season of faithfulness to one thing has run its course, and it's time to commit to something else. All those things are true. But don't forget that perhaps one of the most impactful, countercultural, or even revolutionary things you can do in our world, this world of transience, flexibility, and change, one of the most revolutionary things you might be able to do is to commit, to stay, to stick with something, to practice the lost art of faithfulness, even when it's hard. You know, it's not that difficult to be faithful or to commit to something good. It's not hard to be faithful to your spouse when you're both young and good-looking and the romance is still fresh. It's not hard to be faithful to your child when they're a newborn, wrapped in a blanket, sleeping peacefully. And it's not hard to commit to a job when it pays well and you like your coworkers, a community when crime is low and the school system is strong, or a church when the leadership is healthy and the music is good. But faithfulness is a challenge. It's put to the test when things are less than ideal. It's hard to be faithful to something when it doesn't always seem worth it, when it doesn't seem like it's paying off, when it seems like it costs you dearly. But true faithfulness, through good and bad, through thick and thin, through fair and unfair, is a rarity. It's a lost art. And you know, that's part of what makes the faithfulness of God that we talked about earlier so astounding. God is faithful to Israel when they slander him, ignore him, and betray him. The Israelites didn't deserve God's faithfulness. No one in their right mind would have blamed God if he just gave up on those people a long time ago. But God's faithfulness is an example of his grace. He's gracious not just to Israel, but to sinners from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. He's faithful to this very day, to sinners like you and me in this room. He sent Christ to die on our behalf, faithful unto death, even death on a cross. And for that, we glorify him. We loudly proclaim that his steadfast love, his faithfulness for us, endures forever. And in a world where true faithfulness is such a lost art, That gives us a sense of joy and a sense of hope that you don't see every day. In a world where true faithfulness is such a rarity, it can be that much more appealing to those who have never seen it, to those who have never experienced it. So may we remember God's faithfulness to us. And may we ask God to help us live with that same faithfulness by the power of the Holy Spirit that those around us might see our faithfulness and get even just the smallest glimpse of who he is, that they might see our trustworthiness, that they might see our willingness to show grace and love and forgiveness and commitment through thick and thin. May May they see that and get a small glimpse of who God is. May they see us and get a small taste of how God is a rock, God is a strong fortress. God is a refuge, day in and day out, through all the ups and downs. God is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever.
May we remember that ourselves. May we be faithful until Christ returns. And may we show that faithfulness to a world that is so unfamiliar with it. Let's pray. Father, again, we praise you for your faithfulness, which is the starting point for any sermon, any conversation, any discussion about faithfulness. You are the starting point for it because you are the perfect, ultimate example of it. You are the fulfillment of it. And because of your faithfulness, because of your grace, sinners like us can be saved. We can approach your throne with confidence. We can look forward to the future knowing that Christ will return because you've said he will return. And you are faithful to what you say. And Father, again, I pray that by your grace, by the power of your spirit, with the guidance of your word, with brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and teach us and hold us accountable, I pray that we would live with faithfulness as well. That we would live with faithfulness to others because you are faithful to us. That we would show people a little bit about your faithfulness through the way that we live, the way we keep our words, the way we are reliable, the way we commit ourselves to others. I pray ultimately that people would see our faithfulness and not praise us, not glorify us, but that ultimately our faithfulness would point their eyes to you, would point their eyes to your faithfulness. There are faithful people in this world, Lord, who are reliable and trustworthy and honest and people of credibility and integrity that don't know you. But I pray that we would do both, that we would be people of faithfulness, and that we would also be people of worship for you. Father, again, I pray that you would help us to do this, not for our glory, but for yours. And we thank you for the faithfulness of Christ, faithful unto death, even death on a cross, humbling himself in order that we might be lifted up. Again, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We thank you for this morning, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.